COVID-19 pandemic has demonstrated how ill-prepared we were as a nation for this crisis. The lack of an immediate response plan to rapidly ramp up testing, our inability to track contact points, and the grossly understaffed and underfunded public health sector all contributed to making COVID-19 a larger healthcare and economic issue than it might have been. Today on Modern Marketeers, we'll examine how a greater focus on public health, specifically the expansion of Medicaid, could improve healthcare for our most vulnerable populations. How we think about healthcare policy and public health is of critical importance to provider and payer healthcare brands. And depending on how we move forward in this era of COVID-19, perhaps we'll be better prepared for the next pandemic. My guest today on Modern Marketeers is Kiana Thomason, President and CEO of the Health Forward Foundation in Kansas City. We'll be right back with Kiana after this break. Every brand needs a scorecard. The problem is most of them just don't tell you very much. That's because they only measure past outcomes when what you really need to know is the future. Introducing the Whole Brand Index from Barclay, a scorecard for the age of analytics that's been developed and tested through national survey research covering 125 brands. It doesn't just measure success, it predicts it, turning it into a guidance tool for growth. It's based on how consumers use and evaluate your brand and competing brands. It tells you where you win and where you lose, covering everything from product value to customer service to the relevance of your message. And it correlates all that to market performance, scoring five key indicators that matter to every brand, penetration, preference, willingness to pay more, advocacy, and brand buzz. It all comes together in a single dashboard with two simple scores, and it's scalable to any size budget. To learn more about the Whole Brand Index, visit BarclayUS.com or call Jason Parks, Chief Growth Officer at Barclay, 816-813-3892. That's 816-813-3892 to schedule a free webinar. The Whole Brand Index from Barclay. Today, my guest is Kiana Thomason, uh, President and CEO of the Health Forward Foundation. Kiana, welcome to Modern Marketeers. Thank you. Happy to be with you. So before we dive into um, some of the issues that we're going to get into today regarding public health, Medicaid expansion, et cetera, I'd love for you just to give me a, a, the two-minute drill on the Health Forward Foundation to kind of set the stage for our, our listeners. Sure. Health Forward Foundation is a public charity foundation that is about 16 years old, uh, and our mission is to provide leadership, advocacy, and resources that do two things, uh, that eliminate barriers to health and improves quality health for the uninsured and the underserved in our service area. Uh, our service area uh, spans Missouri and Kansas, but we span a region, uh, and we serve all of Kansas City and three counties in Missouri, uh, Jackson, um, Cass, and Lafayette, and three counties in Kansas, Johnson, Wyandotte, uh, and Allen County. So uh, our service area is both urban and rural, uh, and there is about pre-COVID, uh, 350,000 uninsured individuals in our bi-state area. Uh, and so we grant make on average about $20 million a year uh, to health and human service organizations uh, that provide a host of services uh, to the uninsured and the underserved. Uh, so we are a partner organization with the community. Uh, and uh, we grant make or have provided over $300 million in grants wow. to our community since its inception. So wow. that's, that's impressive. Yeah. So with, those, with that mission, uh, 
what are the, the top three policy areas you would see that you could have the greatest impact on? Well, certainly public health funding. Um, public health funding is comprised of both state uh, and federal funding as well as local. So it's, it's hugely based off of partnerships between uh, governmental entities at those levels. Mm -hmm. And public health funding has been declining uh, in terms of the federal contribution for many, many years. Over the past 30 years, it's gone all the way from about um, 50 million to 15 million. Uh, and Missouri and Kansas rank among the lowest states in our nation for public health funding. Uh, so Missouri is the 50th state uh, for public health funding, the lowest, uh, or next below us with Hawaii uh, being included at 51, um, and uh, including uh, 51 states, excuse me, not that Hawaii is the lowest. Right. And um, uh, Kansas ranks 47. So uh, Missouri spends less than $6 per person a year on public health, and Kansas spends around $12 a person a year, and around 40 to 50 dollars per person is the national average. So uh, Missouri and Kansas are both significantly underfunded. So number one, we need to right size public health funding and coming out of COVID-19 or actually going through COVID-19. Um, it's, it's hugely important uh, that our legislative leaders um, prioritize um, public health funding at both the state and the, at the federal level. Mm -hmm. The next I say is Medicaid expansion uh, for Missouri and Kansas. I know we're going to talk about that, but really briefly, uh, Missouri uh, has the opportunity to expand Medicaid through a ballot initiative, and we'll vote on that on August 4th. And Kansas um, is uh, attempting to expand Medicaid through the legislative process. Uh, we thought that it would occur this year in 2020, and it was um, held up uh, and didn't occur, and so we're very hopeful. Um, we'll double down on efforts on the Kansas side so that that can uh, get passed in advance in 2021. Mm -hmm. So that's the second. That's the second one, right. The third, I would say, would be the inclusion of social care uh, in payment policy and payment models at the federal and state level. So if we want health care to change, um, we need to uh, understand that health happens in the community. It doesn't happen in doctor's offices. It doesn't happen in hospitals. Uh, it happens uh, where we live in our neighborhoods uh, and our schools. Uh, and uh, so much of the American healthcare system is based on, number one, sick care and the medical model uh, that disregards uh, the 80% of uh, health outcomes, which is the social determinants of health. Right. And so I strongly uh, am an advocate for the inclusion of social care and payment policy and payment models at the state and federal level. Well, and the, the social determinants of health, it, it, it's not a short list. Um, are there areas of that from a, a, a social care perspective that you're focusing on more than others? You know, historically, Health Forward has focused on healthy eating and active living and our healthy communities funding uh, round. Um, I think we'll spend the next year going through a purpose alignment process, which is what I call strategic planning. And through that process, um, we need to um, ask ourselves not just what our purpose is, but how can we be most impactful? And we know that to do that, we have to go upstream and begin to focus on these social factors more so than we have uh, to date. Mm -hmm. And there are so many levers to pull, education, workforce, housing, uh, violence, 
uh, there's so much to consider. Uh, so I think it's about listening to our community uh, and uh, having them inform uh, our strategy uh, and where we are prioritizing uh, our focus and go from there. But I do know uh, we plan to have much more of a focus on uh, economic well-being of communities, knowing that poverty is the root cause right. uh, of poor health as well as as well as racism. Uh, and uh, we'll certainly seek to uh, employ those levers that are most impactful around economic well-being. Got it. Well, so talk about the impact uh, to the uninsured and the underserved in the community. And what does it what does it look like to be uninsured? Well, at a very basic level, it looks like no access or very limited access to healthcare services for both preventive care, cancer screenings, immunizations, flu shots, uh, as well as chronic condition management for those with hypertension or diabetes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it looks like a uh, um, shorter life expectancy. Um, in Kansas City, there is about a 15-year difference in life expectancy between 64112 on the plaza uh, and 64128 in Center City. Uh, so only a short drive, but a 15-year life expectancy uh, difference. And much of that is no access to health care. Um, outside of that, uh, it is poor outcomes outside of life expectancy. It's poor outcomes with respect to a range of um, healthcare measures like infant mortality and maternal mortality, and certainly uh, comorbidities of having uh, right. multiple chronic conditions. Diabetes, also, looks like disease. medical debt. Right. Yeah, diabetes, heart disease, all that. Medical debt is huge and uh, is oftentimes the number one issue that bankrupt families. Um, and uh, when you think about that cauldron of issues, um, you, you think about or it produces just really poor outcomes in life beyond health. So um, it's, it's uh, something that um, people don't uh, necessarily fully appreciate if they've been insured all their lives, uh, but uh, it's a significant quality of life uh, concern and challenge uh, for the underserved. Well, and from a policy perspective, it also has to have a huge detrimental impact on the community from an economic point of view. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, our health and our economy are, are inextricably tied. Uh, and so uh, there are, uh, and clearly our current COVID-19 crisis has demonstrated that. Uh, and so when you don't have uh, a healthy community, you don't have a workforce uh, or a healthy workforce. Uh, so there's a lot of complexity uh, to the uninsured. And it's not just the uninsured, the poorest problem. It becomes all of our problems when we think about it from an economic uh, impact standpoint. It's always amazing to me that that does not, that that point does not get driven home more. Um, You Mm -hmm. know, of who actually pays for the uninsured, you know, to get care. Well, it's, it's the insured Uh, and it, and it drives up, it drives up premiums. It drives up provider costs. You know, it's, 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 it's one of those, if you had to, to change one aspect of, of the public health conversation that you could, you know, have a, that would have a long lasting impact, what would it be? Well, asking me to choose one is quite <laughs> difficult. Right. Uh, and I'm going to push the envelope and, <laughs> and go for two. Uh, so I'd underscore um, your comment about uh, the economy. Um, clearly, we're experiencing near economic peril 
as a result of COVID-19 as a nation. Uh, and when that occurs, of course, you destabilize families, you destabilize businesses uh, in, our, in our entire economy. And to your point, um, we all pay for that, you know, um, for uncompensated care that hospitals and providers receive, they just shift that cost over to the commercially insured population. They don't really have a uh, and so have our a premiums, right. <laughs> yeah, they don't have they don't have a choice. Uh, and so the, our premiums go up as a result of that. Now, um, I should correct my statement and say they don't have a choice or my agreement in that I do believe that um, um, the cost of health care in the United States um, is exorbitant. Uh, and we don't see prices uh, at this rate uh, as we do in other countries. Uh, and so I, I say that, but knowing that the prices are what they are, cost, shift, cost shifting occurs uh, to the commercially insured population. So uh, our employers pay for that and we pay higher premiums as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's, that's one thing. And then, of course, um, for uh, hospitals or anchor institutions in many communities with respect to being very large employers. Uh, and so, um, you know, understanding the economic impact um, of uh, unemployment and public health uh, is significant with respect to um, looking at hospitals and their and their employer um, uh, as employers. Well, the yeah. second thing that I'd mention. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, and and when you get into rural areas of Kansas and Missouri, that that's even more exacerbated. That's right. So, fifteen uh, hospitals have closed in Missouri alone since 2010. Um, and again, hospitals anchor rural communities almost more so than any other employer. Uh, and when you don't have uh, a state that has expanded Medicaid for largely rural states, Missouri and Kansas, uh, then hospitals uh, don't remain viable as they don't have that level of reimbursement and revenue uh, coming in to continue to provide care uh, and, and quality care of that. So uh, certainly Medicaid expansion uh, would help support uh, the financial stability of, of our hospital partners. Um, but um, you asked me for one, so I gave <laughs> you one. The second one that I share um, is that racism needs to be addressed as a public health crisis mm-hmm. in our country. So, you know, people of color fare far worse uh, in every societal outcome and in every health outcome than our white counterparts do. Uh, and uh, that is not because uh, we're lazy. Uh, it's not uh, because uh, we're not committed to personal responsibility, uh, but it is uh, because of the wealth gap in our country or the wealth chasm that I should say, because it's so much more than a gap. Uh, and much of that comes from centuries of public policy at the federal level that advantage uh, white people and that disadvantage people of color. Uh, and so there are, there's some reparative policy work that needs to occur to begin to advantage people of color. Uh, and, um, it, it would take a while to do, but it must be done. So that's what I say from a systemic standpoint in terms of the public health conversation. Uh, and, um, and those two, I think, if we could address those incrementally, uh, with uh, with a high level of, of urgency would go a long way. As, and I'm really glad you brought that up. As as we have been uh, becoming more aware of systemic racism and, and all the, the policy decisions, it, literally over hundreds of years, that have created that 
it was part of what drove our interest in doing this this podcast series on public health. Um, you know, COVID mm-hmm. COVID exacerbated and, and and really brought this to the forefront. And and um, and and when we've seen what's been happening with Black Lives Matter and the social justice issues. And when you realize that if you can be anti-racist and uh, and understand that it's it's all based on policy decisions, um, mm-hmm. that then it starts to become a much you know it's it's much more clear to white people, which I am one, and 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 it it's like well this is this is very clear what has to be done, but it as you said it's very hard to unwind that, and it's going to take some time. It absolutely is, and when you think about. Um all the different policies that advantage and continue to advantage our white counterparts. And, you know, we're going back to the 1800s, Sam. We're going back to the Homestead Act uh, that was really about redistributing wealth and, and power um, and uh, through land ownership uh, to white families. Today, there are 96 million people today who are descendants of the Homestead Act. Uh, that's huge, wow. 96 million. When we think about the GI Bill that uh, provided funding for education, housing, uh, and jobs uh, for our white soldiers, but excluded our black soldiers, that has generational, intergenerational impact. Um, so we can't look at the social determinants of health uh, and looking at um, disparities and injustices in, in health. Uh, and in education and in home ownership and wealth without talking about the policies that were very deliberate in creating this chasm. So when I mention reparative policy work, uh, there's some work that needs to be done at, at, at all levels of government to begin to advantage people of color such that um, the wealth gap uh, closes and we know that through an abundance of evidence, when your income and your assets and your wealth grows, there's a corresponding improvement in your health. Uh, so it's important that we go upstream in the conversation about addressing racism as a public health crisis. Well, so let's dive into uh, Medicaid expansion for a little bit, because certainly from a policy perspective, this is going to be, uh, has been for whatever, I think it's 37 states that have uh, expanded Medicaid uh, based on uh, the Kaiser Family Foundation. What would it mean uh, if Medicaid is expanded in the uh, the state of Missouri and in the state of Kansas? So first, it's important to share what Medicaid is because so many people get Medicare and Medicaid confused. Good idea. Medicaid yes. <laughs> is uh-huh. Medicaid is uh, the federal state partnership that provides aid uh, for the poor. Medicare provides care for the seniors. It's a very simple way to think about it. Um, and I, I kind of stole that from my predecessor, Dr. Bridget McCandless, um, in terms of how to help people understand the difference between the two. So Medicaid currently provides uh, behavioral health and medical services reimbursement for the poor. And in addition to being poor, you have to be poor and a child poor and a caregiver of a dependent child, poor and disabled, poor and blind, or poor and a senior, okay? When I say poor, I'm talking like third world poverty poor, um, which is an individual income of $3,600 a year is current Missouri eligibility, okay? So that comma was not in the wrong place, 
$1,500 a year is current eligibility. If we were to expand Medicaid, that would uh, increase the federal poverty level up to 133% and allow people who made around $17,000 a year to be eligible for Medicaid. And that would allow for single uh, or uh, childless adults who are currently not eligible for Medicaid to uh, receive the necessary health and behavioral health care that they need. Uh, so that is what Medicaid is. So what does that mean? Um, it means that uh, they would not have to make tough choices uh, between paying for utilities and uh, housing expenses, mortgage, uh, what have you, uh, versus healthcare. Those are tough choices that no one should have to make. Right. Um, having to make choices between, um, you know, going in for care versus making sure you have money for, for the kids' school clothes. Um, and so, you know, these are, these are significant daily trade-offs that families are making, uh, that is not right and it's not just. Uh, and so we have the opportunity to fix that, uh, through Medicaid expansion. Well, so when the ACA was passed in 2013 and implemented, or I guess it was passed in 2010 and implemented in 2013, state, states had the opportunity to expand Medicaid with zero financial impact, and I don't remember exactly how many years. Um, but even uh, after the states had to begin chipping in, I believe it was only 10%. Um, why did Missouri fail to take advantage of that opportunity, other than the perhaps the obvious? But you know, what, what was driving the, the lack of interest in expanding Medicaid? I, I can't put myself in the mind of our legislators, but uh, at, at years ago, uh, and to some point still today, it has to do with cost. Um, but I can understand that argument and that perspective when the ACA was passed because Medicaid expansion was untested, uh, but it's no longer. Um, 37 other states have expanded Medicaid uh, since 2010 since it was passed, none of those states have reversed course uh, for any reason, let alone cost. Uh, and so uh, the, the, the failure had to do a lot with cost. Uh, but today we have an opportunity to, uh, number one, bring all the tax dollars that we've been paying into uh, for healthcare uh, through Medicaid expansion to uh, that other countries or, or, excuse me, other states are benefiting from we can bring those dollars back home to Missouri. Those are our dollars. Um, Medicaid expansion has been projected to be cost neutral or uh, at best save uh, $1.6 billion a year to the Missouri's uh, bottom line. Um, gross domestic product would increase uh, by over a billion dollars. Personal income would increase by over a billion dollars. And the state's overall economic output would increase by over a billion dollars. Um, this is why we're seeing such strong uh, bipartisan herbal, urban, rural, um, faith communities, business, healthcare, nonprofits um, all come through very strongly uh, in a cross-sector coalition support uh, for Medicaid expansion. Uh, it's because of the health and human dignity component to Medicaid expansion as well as the cost savings uh, that are anticipated. We are anticipating 16,000 new jobs that will be created in Missouri as opposed uh, through Medicaid expansion. And those aren't only healthcare jobs. They include um, many jobs at the government level, uh, governmental entities, 
uh, even includes jobs within construction. Uh, so there uh, are uh, uh, many aspects that raise all boats uh, to uh, Medicaid expansion and ultimately over 230,000 hardworking Missourians uh, would benefit from this. And I need to do a little myth busting here because most people think that uh, people that Medicaid would benefit um, are lazy and not working and that's not true. Over 71% of individuals who would benefit uh, from Medicaid expansion have at least one full-time working adult in the family. Mm-hmm. Um, the other myth is that this is for poor black people. That's not true. Only 18% of those who would benefit in Missouri from Medicaid expansion are black. Over 70% uh, are white. Uh, and the other component um, is that this is a, an urban issue. And that's not true. Most of who would benefit in Missouri are rural Missouri. Right. It goes back uh, so to your comment about when you look, hospitals closing earlier. You know? That's right. That's right. So it would certainly address hospital closures as well. So, you know, when you look at this holistically, it is um, not just the right thing to do, but it's the smartest thing to do for Missouri's uh, health and economic recovery um, as we're going through COVID-19. How would it impact, I mean, I, I think I know the answer to this, but I'd love to hear your, your point of view on how expansion of Medicaid would impact payers and providers. Well, I think um, from a, um, a very basic standpoint, providers would receive additional reimbursement for healthcare services. Uh, that they're not receiving today, which leaves them saddled with a lot of uncompensated care uh, that um, is um, not wholly reimbursed uh, at the federal level. So um, that's uh, the first thing. Um, today, if we would have had Medicaid expansion in, in uh, past in Missouri and Kansas in the COVID um, era, we would have our providers be positioned to um, address, um, exercise certain provisions that the federal government has allowed for uh, that allows the states to be very creative um, around uh, COVID-19 uh, testing related services where they can implement or provide those without cost sharing uh, and increases the federal funding to maintain current levels of eligibility uh, for um, beneficiaries of Medicaid so that they can have continuous coverage for the individuals that they serve. Um, so it's really uh, about revenue, and it's also about appropriate levels of revenue to ensure quality. Going back to the policy conversation we had a little bit uh, a little bit ago, Kiana, if Medicaid is expanded you know, in Missouri and or Kansas, does it impact other policy changes? Yeah, I think, you know, if... If it were to pass, and I'm going to say when it passes, um, certainly in Missouri and eventually in Kansas, it definitely gives us the opportunity to think about the type of Medicaid program that we want and need. And so passing Medicaid is one thing, and then um, transforming Medicaid uh, in terms of what it covers and how it covers it, uh, and making sure that innovation is uh, central. Uh, to uh, the program is a whole other set of uh, policy components that come along with implementation. So that gets to ensuring that 
social care, as we spoke of earlier, is married and integrated with health and behavioral health services. Um, so um, there are, uh, you know, given the enormity of social factors in COVID-19 that has left so many disproportionately vulnerable, um, Missouri and Kansas has a significant opportunity to transform our models for Medicaid uh, to integrate um, social care. So I think that's the biggest policy impl implication um, once Medicaid expansion passes. What can um, uh, payers and providers do and, and, and others in the community do to get involved in, in helping this happen? Well, on August 4th, uh, <laughs> we have the opportunity, <laughs> I knew I would go there, uh, to ensure that Medicaid expansion passes in Missouri. So uh, it's going to be on the ballot as Amendment 2. Uh, and uh, it's all about expanding Medicaid, ensuring that 230,000 additional Missourians uh, have access to this very essential care. So I encourage uh, individuals to thoughtfully consider uh, where they stand on Amendment 2 and look at this holistically. Uh, both from the health and economic standpoint, and if there are, um, um, if they agree with the logic that I've shared, uh, they can vote yes on two on August 4th. Beyond that, um, I encourage um, individuals uh, on both sides of our state line in Missouri and Kansas to talk with their state rep and their uh, and senators and congressional reps about right-sizing public health funding for our state. We are laggards. Um, on a national scale with respect to how we are resourcing public health in our states. Uh, for folks on the Kansas side of our community, know that uh, Medicaid expansion almost made it in Kansas, uh, but was thwarted. And so uh, a lot of advocacy is needed uh, from community members and organizations to hold our legislators accountable for ensuring that there is care provided uh, very essential care to our most vulnerable citizens uh, in our in our community. Kiana, thank you. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation and and understand the the sense of urgency you know regarding getting Medicaid expanded and it is un totally unfortunate that we're uh, headed toward hopefully being number thirty eight uh, to expand Medicaid here in Missouri. I appreciate the conversation regarding policy and everything that it implies. And, and uh, thank you for the work you're doing at the Health Forward Foundation. We, uh, we appreciate it. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Join us again next week for the Healthcare Edition of Modern Marketeers. Mm -hmm.